Hello and welcome to uh, uh, the new episode of Dynamics Update. And uh, this time, as usual, I have my colleague Gustav Sundblad with me. Hello, Gustav. Hello, everyone. Hello, you uh, I'm fine, thank you. And this time we actually, since, since last time we recorded, we actually recorded the 20th episode. So I thought we'd give you a bit of a, a surprise. So this time we actually have a guest, and, and the guest is none other than Kurt Hatlevik, who's been doing AX since most of us were in like kindergarten or something like that. Hello, Hello Kurt. Kurt. Welcome. Hi, thank you for first I need to thank you and congratulations on the on the 20th uh, podcast you have here. It's amazing work that you provide. First, I would like to thank you for inviting me. And I have been listening to uh, to, uh, to your podcast and to better understand basically what is coming in the next releases. And so I would thank for the entire Dynamics community that you actually take the time not only to tell us what is there, but to understand basically what is in the uh, in the upcoming re releases. So I'm looking forward to this. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Um, it's an honor to hear as well that everyone is listening to the podcast. It's very nice to hear um, and we're happy for it. Yeah. So start by telling us a little bit more about yourself. What do you do and, and uh, so on? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, as, as earlier said, my name is Kurt. I'm living in the west coast of Bergen, uh, west coast of Norway, a small town called Bergen. Here we do have a lot of rain. Um, we typically say that the, the sister um, city from Bergen is Seattle. So so maybe that's kind of nice, and uh, especially since uh, a huge R&D team is actually located there. All right. I have been basically been working with the... Um, entire product evaluation, evolution of Dynamics 365 up until the latest releases. So I've been through every step and every version. And uh, if I recall right, I think I was the, the first in the world who become certified on, a, on Accepta. Cool. So, so that's, a, that's a long, long time ago. And, and I even was um, um, working on that before that release. So then it was Concorde XAL, which right. was, which was the first one. Do you have that certification framed at the office or um, is it at lost least somewhere? I have, a, I have a cup. Okay, all right, cool. <laughs> That's nice. Very cool. It's yeah, come a long way so, since then. Yeah, and, and the, the, my, my, my last endeavor is basically um, I have jumped into a, a, a new company with a lot of friends. So that company's name is Inspire365 and we're close to 50 friends. Uh, so that's has been an exciting journey, and and uh, be there. Yeah. So that's in short. That's basically me and where I'm coming from and where I'm working and mm -hmm. so on. And uh, so so I, I thought that we'd go through uh, and discuss a couple of things. And and one of the things that you mentioned uh, when we discussed the, this interview was actually uh, regarding the the microservices that's been popping up. And and I mean that's a big break from how. AX used to work. I mean, you used to bundle everything into AX instead of moving things out of AX. Yeah, surely. Uh, what what, um, what we typically see on, oh, if you if you look on the evolution of the of the system, a lot of things have come up. Um, yeah, basically the last few years, and and of course, if we look on the longer term of how the product is evolving, let's say we look in the five to ten year range, um, then that, then we typically see a 
direction. We typically see that something is happening. And one thing I really like to pay attention to is some of the keynotes that the um, that the um, um, basically people who is driving the vision forward. And this is persons like James Phillips, and he's very important uh, when it comes to setting the stage and setting the directions. He's basically the uh, in charge of 15,000 me- uh, members spanning over the globe with Dynamics 365, the Power Platform, Azure AI, and the Batterflot platform. And basically also what is coming now, which is the Microsoft Cloud for industry solutions. And in one of the latest uh, presentations he did was to uh, kind of tell him, tell his story and Microsoft uh, Microsoft driving in which direction they should go. And he, they are talking a lot about data and they're talking a lot about signals. And when, when he's basically communicating, he's kind of communicating on the level above basically Dynamics mm. 365 and more on the platform side and seeing that where should uh, we kind of provide solutions to this? And he came with a very, very important uh, note. He said that that um, those organization who is able to uh, store, utilize, and, 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 and function on these kind of signals that the system is coming up with, they, 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 um, um, they, they don't necessarily only react, but they use it to kind of then to both predict and proact mm-hmm. when it comes to, to, uh, to the data. And of course, when, when we're talking about data, it's a huge amounts of data. And Microsoft is saying that, yes, some parts of these data will come from typically ERP systems. It will come from CRM systems. And, and, but most likely, it would come from all kinds of other different systems. And when you have these, all of these data that, that is accumulating, it, it, it is really, really large amounts of data that you can kind of go in and, uh, and work on and, and process on. And this kind of makes it very difficult for a single system to kind of grasp all the data that is typically coming in. And the only way to kind of build systems that can react to these large amounts of data is actually to split things up. One of the things that we've been discussing, you and me, Gustav, as well, is that, I mean, not only is it is it hard for one system to handle all of this data, because the, the systems are not normally built to handle other kinds of data, but it's also, I mean, there, there are also issues with uh, performance and, and uh, the amount of data and so on. So, so having it distributed, having each system maintaining its own data, but still breaking down the silos in between them. I think that's an, an important part that you can actually get visibility between systems without, without having to keep the data in sync. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the old um, monolith versus spaghetti plate discussion. <laughs> you have to have a balance between those two, those two things. But, and I totally agree, we, we had the discussion before. It's, it's all, I mean, in a dynamics context, AX context, it's on enterprise level, right? So it's, it makes mm. sense to kind of have that. You have those discussions with clients or users because you're operating on a level where you most likely, I mean, you always have at least another payroll system. You have a number of different systems that are built for different things. Uh, and now I'm not only talking about geographical redundancy, it's more of a like functional redundancy. So I think it's um, super interesting to see what's what's happening with the scale units that's coming up. And it's clear that segmentation as well as the, the differentiation between function and, and um, system is really mm, key yeah. 
and and simplicity in in connecting them because that has always been like the historical stopper right now it's going to take too long to build we have to have these integrations etc so so um it's it's clear that's the way it's going but that's very interesting to see what's happening on the, on the route route there right yeah yeah and and typically what we also need to understand when it comes to this direction of microservices is that that Microsoft is thinking of a lot of these services is not reserved only for certain kinds of uh, of apps in the platform. Exactly. So 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 they also saying that let's let's create services which actually is more generic. So you can plug in a power app that you can plug in a third party app which kind of works on that. And and one very specific service that that is uh, on the horizon right now is the the tax calculation service. For exactly. Instance. Yeah, which which kind of then um, uh, allows you to to perform all the tax calculations, and I don't see the point in 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 having tax calculations locally in one app because that is something generic which you would use within the FNO part. You would use it in in, in the e-commerce part, and you will use it also in 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 um, other areas like Absolutely. point of sales and so on. Mm-hmm. So that, that that is a very excellent uh, area and. and uh, we receive that the microservices is more like a generic component which will fit across the entire stack and and also into third-party applications. Exactly. I mean, and also driving a, a, down the complexity of ERP customization. I mean, if you look at the, the code base for 2009 AX and 2012 and very fiscalized countries such as India or Brazil, a lot of the tax, I think a majority of the customizations in all, all those older are tax related because of not only because of needs, it's also because of like regulation. Things are changing. So it makes sense to pull those things out outside of operations and make it easier to to adapt to to actual dynamic changes and i think that maybe that's what you meant as well with the with the initial statement that to be able to react more more quickly you don't necessarily have the time to wait for the sprint release which is coming in two months from your erp mm. you have to do it quickly so I, I agree that the tax micro because that's really a microservice whereas a lot of these discussions i mean i don't i wouldn't argue that the supply chain uh, scale unit is a microservice it's a bunch of microservices that are bunched together to perform a function same as like the commerce scale unit but in all essence it provides microservices so it's the same mm. i mean same kind of logic same kind of thinking but it's a more a logical grouping of microservices you could you could say yeah, yeah and and i mean also uh, what what one of the things that i actually got very um, happy about when i saw dynamics 365 for the first time was that also the integrations were all of a sudden built in by default I mean, in, in 2009 and 2012, you had to build a lot of the integrations. You had to uh, big build the, the AIF ports. You had to deploy them and, and so on. But w- within Dynamics 365, even in the, in the base product, in the 8th version from the beginning, you actually had interfaces directly into access the data. Not, not, the, not the database, but the actual API for the data mm. built in. And and those has only become become better, uh, both with with uh, I mean the the uh, services around like uh, DataVerse and and uh, Data Lake and and bring your own database and uh, and all of those, but also with like the uh, we have discussed the inventory visibility app a, a lot where you actually I mean you actually have built an API to access. 
before you had to code against an uh, like the the retail API, and that was not the most obvious way to do it. But in this case, you have actually built a simple API. Here is how you access warehouse status, and here mm. is how you reserve things from the warehouse. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think one of the advice is how do we prepare for the long term future? And as, as you said, Johan, uh, uh, Data Lake and Dataverse is basically this in the center of this because mm. that will be the the, um, the most generic and main repository of the data, which you kind of collect from different kinds of sources. And, and I also see that as soon as things kind of accumulate into the Data Lake and into the Dataverse, then you will see all of these services popping up. We we typically see it uh, quite a lot, lot uh, quite a lot in the commerce section. Typically for recommendation engines, for instance, how can we understand what kind of products a customer is interested in? And we also see it in rating and reviews, for for instance. How can we interpret if this is a positive charge or negative charge uh, customer review? Should it be flagged for moderation? Does it contain words? That, that does not fit um, into the site, and maybe we should um, uh, instantly uh, bring that up, at, up into attention to those who is wondering about that to kind of pr provide even better customer services. Yeah, and also um, make decisions on on uh, how to contact the customer the next time based on what they actually wrote as the review. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of that's, course. that's also one thing. If you, if you can interpret what they're saying, and you can actually build rules based on, on that. If they are positive, then send them this message. If they're not positive, send them this message instead. Yeah, of course. And that's not something you want to build in X++ or .NET code within your ERP. You want to have an interface, right? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. that's the cool thing. I just want one like a reflection here I thought about earlier when we discussed interface design, because all, the, all this depends on, on, on interface design. One of the, I'm not going to say drawbacks, but one of the, um, well, um, issues that you have to explain when moving to and transitioning towards the whole disconnected or microservices architecture is that you have to trust whatever is behind the scenes, right? I'm using an API. I don't necessarily have to understand what's happening behind the API. I need to trust mm. that it's working and that, it's, that it returns valid data towards or back to me. And, and we're discussing this as a new like shift for AX, but it's always been there within AX or I mean, it's moving from to AX 2012, the whole interface design where you contact an API or, or a public method or a static method. So the, the interface design thinking has been there, but now it's kind of, it's grown too large. So you can't really build uh, or you could, but as we just argued, you should not build it within the ERP system. You should use other systems, but the nature is the same. And everyone is, uh, some people are saying that, okay, we have a microservice or we have the supply chain scale unit, or we have, um, we don't really know how it's working behind the scenes, low level SQL replication, sure. But still, you don't have to. You have to make sure you trust that it that it work that it works and understand how like the limitations like batch jobs, uh, recurrence, etc. But apart from that, you need to make sure that it works, and and then you don't need to worry. And that's kind of the whole point, right? Yeah, that's actually one of the things that I've been arguing uh, when when uh, f for a long time was that when we first saw uh, Dynamics three sixty five, it was more or less uh, AX 2012 with a web UI. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm so immensely impressed that they have managed to rebuild the entire product in production. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. It's very cool. And and it's also good that you kind of can rely on on the messaging they give to the market because they do give a, a very clear uh, notice ahead of time of when things are being deprecated. And they also bring a lot of documentation as, as things are going forward. And, and to kind of have visibility into the future. As um, uh, many of you know, Microsoft is very good in communicating what is basically um, uh, on the horizon and what is coming up. So they have these wave one, wave two releases they have. And I see a lot of people, they kind of pick up on that and try to understand what the future is. But here is a very, very smart tip. And the Wave 1 and the Wave 2 is actually being constantly being updated. And so, so that's why it is relevant to kind of go back to the Wave 1 and Wave 2 release documentation they have on Docs and check out a page which is called the History page. Because there you'll see all the uh, intermediate changes that basically do, additions to what they ha earlier have uh, commu communicated. So, for instance, in um, the... Um, in the Wave 1, I think that came uh, available to the market in um, uh, yeah, basically January, February timeline. Mm -hmm. And then we start, started to see things dripping in from May and, and onwards. And right now, I think it was in August, September that we got the Wave 2. But we already know we see things are dripping in. But we also see changes. So, so take a look on the change history page on the docs and to, to kind of see some of the, the changes and directions they, they have there. It's a very good tip. And I think one thing we're missing in the, this podcast, when, it, when in the regular episodes, we're, we try to bring it up at the deprecated ones. And we try to always like push to go into the documentation, make sure to stay on top because it is fresh news. I mean, deprecation, one, one thing we discussed uh, many times before is I just said that you, you don't even know what works. You need to know um, to trust it, but you do need to know how to test it. And you do need to know on which like platform to test it no one is running vanilla i mean maybe you should but no one is doing it so you need to make sure that everything is activated and that's why you see a lot of like you say history and you see a lot of changes coming in as well so but that's a different mindset that's like um, and again back to the, the, the to the discussion we had before if the old way was too hard because you had to build customizations now it's too hard because you have to build regression testing and unit testing so it's always cumbersome but it's a better th better way of working working because it's more stable yeah, but you also need to know that we have the entire Dynamics community with us. Exactly. So so if we kind of emphasize that you need to involve yourself through the entire cycle. Mm. So be a part of the PEIP so that you do get early releases. Do evaluate what is happening in the first release. Do evaluate what is coming in on the GA releases mm. of they have. So, so it kind of means before it kind of hits into the production environment mm. at the customer, it's not only you you who have tested certain things, but you have the entire community that has tested things. Exactly. Yep. And, that, yep. and, that, and, that, and that kind of brings stability, it brings knowledge, and it also brings uh, a, a better experience of the, of, the, of the solution. Exactly. That's a very good point. Exactly. The whole, everyone is using kind of the same version, or we should use the same version, but at least it's, it's retestable in a whole different way than it was before. So I completely agree. And again, using the interface design, you kind of know how to connect things and then you can discuss with that community how they have been operating it. So it's a lot of um, good knowledge going to share. Yeah, but I mean, bef before, no one used the same version. None <laughs> exactly, no. whatsoever, because everyone had overwritten code that Microsoft had written. In this case, at least we're using the same base version. 
But I mean, one thing that I, I reacted on when, when you discussed the, the tax calculation service before is all of those like legal requirement rules. Hmm. I mean, all of those should be able to be implemented once and for all, and then everyone can use them. Because, yeah. I mean, you don't, you shouldn't have to rebuild them. I mean, once they're done, you shouldn't almost, if there was no change, you shouldn't even almost need to test them because they are, I mean, it's not like the 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 tax authorities change their mind all that often. <laughs> it's, they are, they are not that flexible. Well, they are yeah, also yeah, working with all... waves, right? But very, very much ahead of time. So no, not, not waves. They this. have more like like twelve year waves, yeah, exactly. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and also when uh, when uh, things are changing, it is not necessarily changing for one company. It's typically changing for entire region or country, more yeah. or less. So yeah, yeah, and 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 if Microsoft do they ch that change once and for all, then the customers because previously everyone had to do that change. But at least now only Microsoft need to do the change and we need to verify that it, they've actually done it correctly. But it's still less work than having to do it from the beginning. Mm. <laughs> so, so another thing that I, I would like to touch on uh, briefly, because we normally we do the recording for 30 minutes, so we have a little more time. But um, <laughs> I know that one of the, the areas that you're working a lot in is, is uh, commerce. Yeah, and and we've been discussing uh, the e-commerce solution a lot uh, here on the podcast, uh, and we've actually discussed uh, whether or not the e-commerce solution is a viable competitor to some of the best of brand solutions out there, because they, we have a lot of of actors in the market who has traditionally integrated towards SAP or Dynamics or whatever ERP system that you're using, but they are their own standalone solution. And they have like a, an ISV connection into the system from their, their solution, so to speak. And, and now Microsoft has released their own e-commerce solution. And of course, it's uh, perfectly integrated with with uh, AX and Dynamics, and that's that's a good thing because that actually brings benefits. But it's still not maybe one of the objectively best solutions out there. So, mm. I, I mean, I because I I've had it, this discussion when it comes to, for instance, uh, Azure DevOps that customers ask me, if, can can we use Jira instead because Jira is objectively better than Azure DevOps. Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> no, we can't because it's you. You will have benefits by using Azure DevOps, and I I see it the same way when it comes to e-commerce. But where do you see the e-commerce product going going forward? Yeah, well, you, when you're talking about the best, then then, then of course um, <laughs> you need to you need to kind of clarify. Um, what is best? Because best is okay. It is it is a simple term, but what is kind of important to to understand when um, when we're working is basically how can we create the best possible shopping journey uh, for a customer? How can the experience kind of be? And when you're working on that, you'll typically see that the customer shopping journey goes through different phases. So. In the beginning, the, uh, the the customer is maybe not aware of you as, as a retailer, and, and you need to bring in processes to bring awareness about you. So you need to be present 
where you where you have advertising, you have blogs, you have media, and so on. And in here, you you kind of have technology stacks that you typically find in the CRM, CRM pieces of it, where you have the marketing app and so on. After the the, the customer basically knows about them, you you it kind of it goes into the next phase, which is the, the evaluation phase. How what kind of products, what kind of prices do you, do you actually have here, and then, of course, you get to the area which a lot of people is focusing on, which is on the buy phase. When we're actually doing the transaction, you're buying the product itself. And, um, and here we, we typically see that a lot of uh, uh, other systems say that, well, we have fantastic views. We have uh, capabilities here, which kind of speeds up. We get transactions per second and, uh, and all of those uh, pieces that, that single-handedly may be uh, competing quite closely to Dynamics. And also, at the end, you have the post-purchase process. What is happening after you have purchased something? So when I'm saying best, I'm, talking, I'm more thinking of the entire flow through all of these phases and not necessarily how many transactions per second you basically do. Because if you want the, the absolute best and fastest, uh, let's say, post system, you should install it locally on a, on the best possible gaming PC that you basically have. You should have a local database. You should, you should place all pictures, everything on there. Then you have the best possible transactions per second. But that's not necessarily what should be the best. No, exactly. There, no, and there there are there are other aspects as well. I mean, there is. Um, <laughs> e-commerce store functionality that you can look at. So these specific functionalities are available in these specific systems and so on. But mm. I, I think you bring up, bring up a very good point. First of all, that you need to look at, just like you do with Azure DevOps, you need to look at the services around and and to understand where, where actually the, the, the main points of, of using the system is. Mm. But but also one of the things that I would argue is that, I mean, there are things that Microsoft can do that no other uh, retail solution provider can do. And that's that has to do with the infrastructure. They have infrastructure like, I mean, maybe there, are, there is one other company in the entire world that has the same infrastructure, but otherwise no one can compete no and i think uh, it's what you said kurt as well uh, about what is best best is always i mean objective from the customer or the challenge or whatever it is we're trying to achieve it's hard to to take a lot of the best in breed solutions i mean into shop and a lot of uh, custom built front end e-commerce that's one thing but the whole back-end story is a whole different thing right and that's mm. i think it's interesting to see at microsoft i mean the e-commerce e solution in place is very attractive i think and it's um, we've been bringing it up i like these nice little features coming in both me you and you and me were both interested in the geo uh feature right i think one of the podcasts mm. back when uh, then we discovered it was just geo redirection and not actual <laughs> geo redundancy but that's <laughs> that's something else but point is that it's um all of these functions and features front end yeah, sure. It's a, it's a nice feature. It's coming there and it's stable and it's enough. But like you, I think you brought up as well, Kurt, it's the the whole connected and the whole unified commerce. It's, I've seen so many slides, but I think it's true that uh, Dynamics, um, specifically 365, but also with, with AX2012, one of the more omnichannel or unified commerce-centered um, systems or platforms. So it's I think that's important to drive as well, what you get along the side. And again, back to the whole, you don't necessarily run Dynamics, unless you are on a specific enterprise level, it's not for a pop-up store. 
they're not going to bring up Dynamics Commerce, right? You, you're on a, a certain level, at least, of enterprise um, where you see the other benefits, such as full transaction tracking, a lot of the, the, the other stuff that comes not so easy if you just have a very fast and, and, and um, modern front end. It doesn't help if you have to employ 20 or 30 people at accounts payable or receivable to handle all of the backend flows. So I think, again, that's a, that's a good discussion to kind of go from, okay, maybe we're not the fastest when it comes to transaction processing, but it doesn't really matter because um, the customer experience is still the same across all channels, etc. So it's a lot of different aspects to put into this as well. And it's uh, I think it's interesting to see uh, how Microsoft is also driving more towards this whole um, connected scenario with the scale unit and, and the, uh, the headless architecture, et cetera. So th they realize it's clear to me uh, uh, with the inventory visibility app as well that you don't necessarily have Microsoft components all the way through your architecture. You have you might run commerce uh, a long way, but then you need to be able to connect to a lot of different return services. You have a lot of different uh, connections to other third-party services that are necessary to stay on top. You have to have a good payment connector to to um, to work on each market. Otherwise, you're kind of behind. Uh, even if you have a fast UI, if you don't take Swish in Sweden, you're not really there. Or well, Vips in yeah. Norway, right? <laughs> yeah, and they, of course the the, um, the the center part, which which is basically the holy grail of the entire commerce, is what we call the commerce runtime, the headless yeah, exactly. commerce element, which basically uh, I've seen so many companies where they have uh, purchased Dynamics 365 and they purchased an external e-commerce system. And then they get to the point where where they would like to have the same kind of prices regardless of which retail channel you are in. Hmm. And then they kind of suddenly realize, yes, it is easy to kind of populate the same price across different uh, companies. But as soon as you kind of go deeper into how a retailer thinks, you, you don't have necessarily a price on a product. You have more like a price on a, on a cart. Yeah. It, it is depending on which loyalty element you have. Exactly. It depends on which quantities you're basically buying. You mm. have promotions, you have discounts. And this kind of increases the complexity, mm. especially when you have different uh, channels that you have. Exactly. So, 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 you, so you, you, the, uh, very often you'll see that the entire uh, uh, implementation more or less collapses because it seems that, okay, then we are just selling it with a price on a product and we can hit a button on the screen which gives you discount. Mm. And, then, and that completely is, 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 is on the opposite side of what we are trying to achieve, to give customers the same experience regardless of which channel they are buying their products through. Exactly. I think we need to, yeah. to uh, kind of uh, start closing up. I have one uh, question I want to ask to, to everyone who's a guest on, on the show. It's uh, what's your favorite feature in Dynamics 365? It's, it can be anything from like a finest form that you know of or the button is very nice. It can be anything. <laughs> your, your, your most well appreciated feature in Dynamics 365. Um, I really like the master planning. Mm. I really like the, uh, the ability to... Uh, to, to have the system calculate the requirements that we typically have, and um, and especially also now when we have the um, the um, uh, the new uh, master planning engine, which is more or less real time, which is service oriented. So I really enjoy that piece of the of the puzzle. The the other one that I, I, I want to bring up two. So okay, if you can ask me one, I need to bring up two. So the the other part is basically what is happening on on the uh, statement calculation of uh, retail. Basically, what is happening 
within transactions after it comes into Dynamics 365. Uh, because that area is so much larger and the complexity around it is so much bigger than basically anybody could figure out. I've been talking to the teams behind this functionality and you have to know that they take care of all financials, all the operational processing of sales service, all the, the transactional processing that, that is currently hap happening. And the, the complexity of that has to actually not been emphasized and appreciated enough. No, I know. It's very, very complex, not only with the base functionality, but once you get into setup of different payment methods and all of the complexity of, of like local regulation. So I have um, a big respect for that process as well. It's very good. Two good uh, features. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, and if it also could come with um, with a small tip to those who's listening and trying to understand everything in Dynamics 365 is Im impossible. No, nobody, nobody can know everything. And, and, and uh, that's why I always try to encourage people to um, try to be a T-shaped person where you, in, in some areas, you try to be quite wide in what you know, but mm. try to find selected areas where you go deep. It's a good tip. And applies to not only commerce, right? In yeah. general dynamics, <laughs> good, exactly. good tip to yeah. try to focus. But because it is a very uh, complex product, and and anyone who says they know it all is probably lying or doesn't know as much as they think they know, most likely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. You want any any last last words? Very dramatic. Any final thoughts? No, I actually uh, no, I don't. I don't have a, any anything else actually. So I, I think um, uh, I think we should thank thank Kurt for being available for us today uh, for an entire half an hour. And uh, if you would like to uh, tell the listeners where they can find uh, your information. Well, the, uh, the the community is large, and, and and I don't want to put anything on top or anything on bottom, but. But um, um, w w I think one area which is quite important is to actually utilize the resources that both Microsoft provides, but also what the community provides. There is tons and tons of blogs out there. And basically by just Googling and searching, I think yeah, you will get quite uh, good hits on basically anything you, you're, you're asking about. So mm -hmm. my biggest tip is use Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. I, I, I do that a lot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Thank so, you so much for joining us, Kurt. It's an honor to have you here, and um, I wish you a pleasant evening. Thank you for letting me. Bye. Come along. Bye, everyone. Thank you.